Hello and welcome back to the Butler Sports Affair, the show with all the butter athletics you can handle. I'm your host, Ethan Pollock, and today I'll be joined later by my rotating panel of James Andrews and Andrew Mild. But first, let's run on some of the headlines and topics for today's show. We will begin with the biggest news of quite possibly the entire offseason after the Butler basketball team finally announced a new but familiar face as their new head coach of the future. Next up, we'll jump into how the Butler softball team fared in their series against one of the top teams in the entire Big East Conference. Finally, the Butler baseball team is back in business after a huge weekend against Eastern Illinois as they get ready for their Big East Conference play. For our first meal of the day, we'll begin by admiring the new Butler basketball head coach, Thad Mata. So, with the national championship now over, um, Butler, there, at least there's more news here coming out of college basketball, and that's from Butler, believe it or not, because we have finally found our new head coach, and he's actually got a familiar face, and so to help me introduce our new head coach, uh, we got my hostess with the Moses, or co-host with the Moses, aka James Andrews, to come help me talk about Butler basketball. James, how's it doing, or how's it going right now? Uh, I'm doing well, Ethan. Thank you for that great introduction. You know, I was listening to uh, the, this podcast last week with one of your segments with Andrew Mild, who was trying to say that he was one of the best co-hosts on there, and I just <laughs> I, I took that personally. You know, so now I'm here. I'm back. I'm back to talk more college basketball. What an amazing season it's been. You know, national championship was last night. Just to sum that up a little bit, Kansas uh, took the crown and beat UNC. Man, what heart do we see from UNC? I wanted those guys to win so bad. <laughs> it seemed like half their team was like on the verge of death. Like every couple of minutes, somebody would like roll their ankle and then just like start hobbling up and down the court and they like wouldn't be able to put any pressure on their leg. But they didn't come out of the game. I think Armando Baycott had to come out of the game with like a minute left. But it's like, seriously, all of these guys looked like they could barely walk, no, nonetheless run. I mean, I Caleb Love at one point in the second half injured himself. And at this point for UNC, it was just so routine. They stopped talking about it on the broadcast. It was just like, oh, yeah, they've got another player hobbling on one foot. They had like two healthy players on the court at one point. That <laughs> was a wild ride. But yeah. What a college basketball season it was. I mean, it was the biggest comeback in national championship history. So talk about a game to watch. So, But Kansas takes the crown. And so, but I mean, if that news wasn't already big enough, we've got more Butler basketball to talk about. So the man that the man that's going to be coming and taking over the future reigns of Butler basketball, Thad Mata. And so for those of you who have kind of stayed, paid attention to Butler for a very long time, going way back to 2000, uh, he actually was the head coach for Butler basketball at one point. Back in t- from 2001 or 2000 to 2001, he was the head coach for Butler before then leaving for Xavier and Ohio State, taking a minor break in between and then coming back to work for Indiana. And then he's now, I think, wanted to become a Bulldog once more. And sure enough, he took the job and surprised everybody by becoming the next Butler basketball head coach. So James, can you give us a little bit more information on who Thad Mata really is? Absolutely. So in case you haven't been watching college basketball for 30 years and you aren't friends with Emily Mata, who is actually a student here at Butler University, Thad Mata's daughter, Thad Mata is a proven winner. That's what he is, plain and simple. Graduated from Butler in 1990, ended up coming to Butler for his first head coaching job for only one year, went 24-8, and led us to the NCAA tournament, then he did leave us for Xavier, but we'll have to forgive him that for now. Put up a phenomenal record at Xavier. Um, he was there for three years, went 78-23 and 23 there, made 
um, NCAA tournament all three years, even made it to an Elite Eight. And then he went to Ohio State and took over kind of a struggling program there. And, of course, a vaunted Big Ten where he's got to play Michigan um, or um, Michigan, Michigan State, uh, Penn State, those teams every year. So, obviously, the Big Ten doesn't get easy. But And then he had a ton of success there, winning, what, six Big Ten titles. He was Big Ten Coach of the Year three times. He made it to two Final Fours. He was in the NCAA tournament, I think, 13 out of his 16 years there, virtually every year. The guy is just a winner. He knows how to coach. He's won at every level he's gone to. Even as a player at Butler University, he was still a proven winner. He was a guy who could shoot the ball well, would always make his free throws. You know, just the type of guy Butler loved, that Butler way, that tough work ethic. So it's no surprise to see that the front office wanted him back here. And, you know, it really is great to have him aboard. And, I mean, this was surprising because uh, going into this after two days ago, uh, Laval Jordan, I believe this was on Friday. It was Friday, of course, April Fool's Day. He was officially fired from his job. So everyone was like, wait a second, was this really a joke or not? So then everyone's kind of confused. But then we got even more crazier news uh, that obviously Thad Mata would take over as the new head coach. But before then, we thought there's going to, he had like, he wasn't even on the radar for anything because he had guys like Jeff Bowles and Ronald Norrid as some of the guys that are leading the leading and coaching candidates for Butler basketball. So, I mean, these guys had some resumes to be able to, we, who, at least who we thought, I, I personally thought would be it. So it was just crazy to see that uh, they didn't even think about choosing either Nord or Bulls. Yeah, when I did my story last week, immediately following the firing of Coach Jordan, you know, I put out a couple of names to look out for, and Thad Mata wasn't one of those names because even though I knew he could be a coach and there were some guys uh, rumoring him to be interested in the Butler job, really the question was, would he be able to take this coaching job and would he want it? So he basically he spent the past year as an associate athletic director with Indiana University, but he was out of basketball the previous three or four years because of that, but that was for health reasons. He had a lot of back surgeries and was facing some other health issues. And even in his later years with Ohio State, before his absence from basketball, he would, that's where it really all started. And you saw some of their success kind of dwindle down. And just because when you have a guy who can't commit that same level of energy and commitment to a program, it really is going to hurt. But now he said to just be past that. He is only 54 years old. You know, there were a lot of people who thought he was in the upper 60s, right, because (laughs) of the health issues he's had. But, you know, he is still a young guy. He's a guy, you know, who's obviously been a winner at every step of the way. So he was best case scenario. You know, Ronald Nord and Jeff Bowles would have been good candidates. Two of the guys you mentioned, there were a couple other good candidates out there. And we would have found a fine replacement. But this is really best case scenario. And that is why so many people are so thrilled to have him aboard because they didn't think there was any chance he was going to take this coaching job because, honestly, nobody really thought he was going to take another coaching job again in his life. Um, Mm -hmm. But, yeah, now he's here and we're all just psyched to have him. I mean, just an absolute home run of a signing, too. And I cannot believe that we were able to even get him. So, I mean, just looking at this team now, with we've had so many issues in in between the firing and the hiring. All everywhere, at least within Butler basketball, was just coming to an end, or at least, or coming to basically exploding with just bad news. Because what we had, uh, at least Bryce Golden was already in the transfer portal. We have Simas who said he was going to be looking at other schools. We even had Jaden Taylor supposedly, uh, which we learned very quickly too after when he posted on Instagram that he was not transferring. Um, but there were rumors of him transferring. So we thought this entire team was just going to leave after Laval was gone. And then suddenly Thad Mata gets hired and holy moly, we are back in business. And so I'm just curious, like, why do you think that this is such an important signing for Butler Bass, especially with this crazy transfer portal? 
Well, yeah. Um, so we signed him 24 days after the Butler basketball season ended, but it was 22 days for us to just let go of Laval Jordan. So that was 22 days, man. Nobody knew what was really happening with this program, and it was you didn't see that at other programs. Every other big time school who had a coaching, um, who had a need for a coach, had already filled that. I mean, there were schools like Seton Hall and um, Xavier who went on tournament runs. Xavier was in the NIT. And then they finished their tournament runs, fired their coach, and hired a new coach all before Butler could even make the first step in the process. So there was a lot of people questioning, what is going on with Butler? Is there something really big that's brewing? Were they just going to do nothing and keep the status quo going into next year? So with all those question marks, you know, even the players had their own question marks of all these guys that are left on the roster, the young building blocks that we're so excited for moving forward. They didn't really know what this program was going to look like. So from their perspective, with the transfer portal, they almost had one foot out of the door. The way the new transfer portal rules work is anybody has one free transfer where they can go to any program of their choosing um, that accepts them, of course, and they can play immediately the next season. So it's almost like you have free agency in college basketball. The deadline to enter the portal is May 1st, but as we've seen, most of the coaches are already trying to build out their rosters for next season. So if you're going to be in the transfer portal, you really want to do it before that time. And that's why we saw guys like CMOS, Jaden Taylor, and Bryce Golden all flirt with going into the transfer portal. But because we were able to get this signing so quick, just two days after we fired Coach Jordan, that happened on Friday morning. And then, you know, Thad Mata was announced to be coming to Butler early Sunday afternoon, that it really kept those guys from the portal. We know Bryce Golden isn't going to be back next year. He announced that, that he's going to be playing his fifth year somewhere else. But as for Jaden Taylor and Seamus Lukosius, as of right now, neither one of those two guys is in the portal, which is a very good sign because the odds of them going into the portal and coming back here look pretty slim at this point because if they were to go into the portal, they wouldn't be guaranteed a scholarship coming back here. And that's the big thing that both those two guys are looking at. So I think it's pretty safe to say Jaden Taylor is not going to go into the portal. He, We all saw his TikTok, right, of him <laughs> dancing uh, with new coach Thad Mata. And then for CMOS, he may still be on the fence. But, you know, this is the right step of now these two can sit down and have the conversation. Thad Mata can talk about what he envisions for Butler, what he sees in CMOS. CMOS can do the same. And then those two can work from there and start a professional rapport instead of just dragging this along of like, what is this program going to look like next year? And you speak of envisioning like what Thad Mata has in store for Butler. I can't wait to see a new coaching style because what I've read so far is that he's more of at least – in the past, we're more of a slow, big defensive style uh, team. But I've what I've read so far about Thad Mata, he's this might, things might be changing here at least in offense and defense. Is they're going to be a little bit more aggressive playing defense, and we're going to be now. I think his big thing is always shooting well. As almost all of his teams have shot forty five percent from the field, as well as. I think we've almost 35% from beyond the arc. So he knows how to teach his guys how to shoot. And especially if we keep these guys like CMOS and JT on our team who are prone to being able to score. And these guys are uh, buckets to believe with, or believe me, they are buckets. And so if we can keep them and then to see if they, what they have in store recruiting wise, I'm kind of curious to see what he has and who he can kind of pull out of the transfer portal, especially since all of his success. He, I mean, he is the most winningest coach in Ohio State history. So he might even be able to start pulling some of the guys that went to Butler with former head coach, um, that was at least was the head coach for Butler in years past. I mean, Chris Holtman, who, took a bunch of the Butler guys with him. We might be get it may have, might be able to get Thadma to go and get those guys to come back to Butler, you know. So I'm curious to see what he has in store. So I mean, are you are you excited about the new I uh, maybe 
uh, coaching style that he might be bringing to Bobby I Lee's. am stoked for his new coaching style, <laughs> Ethan. No longer are we just going to take 10 seconds to bring the ball up the court every time because that is the number one thing Thad Mata wants to do is he wants to get the ball past half court. Now, don't get it twisted. He's not a type of guy that wants to, you know, really push the pace. He's not going to run a pace and space offense. You know, he's not going to be NBA style. We're not going to be some of this up-tempo team just chucking the ball up the court the entire game. And that's not what I want from us because that would be way too big of a jump for this offense that he played so slow last year. But rather, he gets the ball past half court and then gets into his offensive sets. And that's really where his coaching genius has shown throughout his time at, you know, all three of his stops just time and time again. It has been his half court sets that he has been able to get people in position uh, to get open shots easy baskets uh, towards the rim and that's something we just didn't have last year's nothing came easy for this offense it was like you know we'll throw Enzi on the low block and then he has to work as hard as he can to get a bucket and then you know Chuck or CMOS will work as hard as they can to get a three but it should look a lot different um this year this upcoming season there's a reason Jaden Taylor was dancing in that TikTok and that's because he knows he is about to get a lot of open uh, three-point looks from downtown and that's really what's going to make the difference with this team in my opinion I, if I were to compare it to somebody, I would compare it to Jay Wright at Villanova. They do a very similar thing. They want to get the ball past the timeline, but then they're not afraid to take 20, 25 seconds of, or even 30 seconds of the shot clock, but it's all going to be done with a purpose. We're not. It's not going to try to just bleed the clock and play as low scoring as possible to, to hinder, hinder the other team from scoring. We're still going to be trying to score as much as possible and beat you by putting up points, but it's also going to be at a slower, more controlled pace where you know we're just going throughout our half court offense and then trying to find the first open look that we can get. Defensively, um on the other hand, it'll be kind of again a switch from what we're used to. We played I don't want to say more of a laissez-faire defense because we still played very good defense, mm-hmm. but it was a little bit more of a hang back. You know, we weren't going out there pressing guys trying to speed them up. We were trying to slow them down because we wanted to play as slow as absolutely possible. But that's not it. Thad Mata, he's going to encourage those guys to play aggressive on defense and tough ball pressure. And you know what? That's why this guy has such an esteemed record in the tournament. Something I always talk about this time of year when you're filling out your bracket for March Madness is... What guards do you think are the best, not just like the best overall guards, but the best at getting downhill and getting to the basket? Then once they get to the basket, finishing at the rim or passing it off to another guy. And that's what Thad Mata preaches. He loves to get his guards going downhill, either in the pick and roll or some sort of, you know, high double escalator screen. And then he gets them going downhill and knows how to get his guard to penetrate towards the basket. That's what has always made the difference in March Madness, in my opinion. That's what we saw UNC do so well on this run. That's what we saw Kansas do so well. Villanova, much of the same thing. Lots of other teams. A UCLA from last year followed that same exact manuscript of just let the guards work and get downhill and then find the open shooters. And that's when everything is going to really come easy for this offense. That is the biggest thing I'm looking forward to. So while it's still going to be somewhat of a grinded out half-court game, it's going to be much faster in the process. And I can't wait because you mentioned it too. I mean, uh, all the years we've had to sit and watch. I mean, no offense to Laval's offense that he used to run, uh, but he always used to rely on one guy to make the play every single time like take the shot all the way down and then let your best player kind of shoot it that's what Chuck Harris was doing all the time that's what Bo Hodges was doing and yes they're able to score but then 
what happens to the rest of the guys on the team? They don't, they're more laid back. They don't put up that many points. And that's why it was so inconsistent every single week and every single game that we played was this, we had a new guy scoring because how he'd do it is he'd had that one player go out and have them lead the offense. And if whoever's hot, he'd basically give them the ball and let them score. And that's it. Nobody else isn't involved in the offense. So I think that Thad Mata being able to try and get more players involved and get a well-run offense all the way around, I can't wait. And especially that you mentioned the aggressive ball pressure. I mean, Jaden Taylor's already shown flashes of being a very, very great defender. I mean, imagine him now under a Thad Mata defense. I cannot wait to see what this team has in store. So, And then thinking about this hiring too as well, going long-term as there's been some concerns, some drawbacks. Is the only drawbacks we've heard so far about him is obviously his health, but we've already heard quotes that he is back to full health. So I think that sums that up. But, you know, there's more rumors about him only making this a short-term hire. But do you believe those any of those rumors about that? I don't, man. There is so much speculation going around. It's almost like because of how I mentioned how Butler, you know, was so behind in this process. You know, there were so many rumors and things going out about what we were doing. And it's like now people kind of just can't get over it, right? Now that we signed Thad Mata, it's like, oh, well, what's next for this Butler? They must still have some sort of dysfunction or something. So I think it's just a lot of outsiders really just trying to talk their way into it. I don't. I would not read too much into it. I think Barry Collier is perfectly happy in his role that he has here. Yes, he works on the NCAA selection committee, but everybody else that's on that committee also works for either the conference or either a specific conference or for, you know, the team that they came up with. So it's not that out of the ordinary for Barry to do what he's doing. I don't expect him to give up his job anytime soon. And then on that note, I don't expect that model to try to leave anytime soon. You know, you mentioned it. He's coached at Ohio State. He's made it to Final Fours. Yeah, he's never won a national championship. So sure, maybe if he wanted to do that, you know, he would like take a flyer at Duke or something like that. You know, who knows what type of big jobs will open up. And I'm sure plenty of people will try to reach out to him. But at this point, I don't see any reason why he would have to leave. You know, like we said, his daughter Emily goes to school here. His wife went to school here. He graduated from school here. Uh, His two oldest children both graduated from school here. He lives in the city of Indianapolis now. I mean, this is his home. You know, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't be our coach for at least the next three or four years, maybe even longer if he has a lot of success. And then at some point, yes, then maybe I could see him transitioning into a role with our athletics department. His health will always be something to keep an eye on, of course, um, when, when that's there. You know, we, we all the reports are saying that he's perfectly fine, ready to go, and just back to his old self. So that's great to hear, um, you know. But, you know, as he approaches, like, his 60s in life, you know, he might not be able to do this as long as some other people. But, yeah, I don't see this as a one- or two-year move like some people might saying. And then, like, have a coach in have a coach in waiting and then, you know, bring up one of his assistants to be the head coach. Thad Mott is here to be the head basketball coach of a prominent Big East program. Well, we know one thing, that he's at least staying for at least two more years because his daughter is a junior. So, you know, I'll kind of use that to, <laughs> to your advantage. This isn't a I mean, uh, Brian Kelly situation. Know. <laughs> <laughs> we know for sure that she or at least he will at least stay for two more years. But... That's besides the point, too. We got one more part that we're going to be uh, talking about, and that's because with this new hiring, how does this affect the Big East? Because, oh my, is this Big Big East coaching-wise becoming more and more loaded. The coaches in the Big East, uh, eight of, of the 11 head coaches now have coached in the Sweet 16, and five of those coaches as well have coached in the Elite Eight. So talk about an experienced conference right here. Probably the best conference in college basketball right now, if I had to say so, with more people as they continue to keep adding it. So how does this affect the Big East now that Thad Mata joins this 
app or absolutely stacked Big East already to begin with. I mean, it only gets better from here, right? Like, where are your easy games? I really don't see them. You know, Georgetown and DePaul are still here, sure. But these every single coach seems to be very high esteemed in the Big East now. And they all seem to fit this Big East mold of just tough, grind-you-out play. And, you know, uh, so... <clears throat> oh, sorry. <clears throat> My throat was really drying up there. All right. <clears throat> I'm going to make... Eric's probably not even going to cut this, but... That'll make him cut it. There you go. All right, back to it. <clears throat> um, yeah, so it's only going to make the Big East a lot tougher from here. We talked all season long how we thought the Big East was one of the best, if not one of the best conferences in college basketball. And, you know, they, I talked a lot of the smack about the ACC this season. They, they might have proved me wrong during the NCAA tournament. So I guess we should still say that's the best conference in college basketball. But, but the Big Ten isn't very good in case anybody else has noticed. <laughs> so I, the Big East, in my opinion, is right there as the second best conference. It's really not even close. There's guys like Shaka Smart on Marquette, Sean McDermott. Now you have Sean Miller and Shaheen Holloway also joining the Big East along with Thad Mata. You know, Sean Miller was at Arizona for a number of years. You know, he's a very well-esteemed coach, too. Just riddled in absolute scandals, by the way. <laughs> just, you know, just look, go ahead and look those up perfect. for any Xavier haters out I know, there, which perfect coach everybody. For, perfect coach for Xavier, I mean. We already hate him enough, and now they got some guy with more scandals. I mean, come on. <laughs> exactly. That That's the thing about Sean Miller, right? Great coach, very easy to hate. So, you know, when Xavier comes to Hinkle Fieldhouse, next year don't don't hold back on Sean Miller he doesn't really deserve it uh Shaheen Holloway on the other hand you know he's a great dude at Seton Hall we all know him he was the coach of St. Peter's he just really cares for his players one seems like one of the more genuine head coaches out there Seton Hall is one of those teams that made the tournament this year but then turned around and fired their coach after they didn't have a good performance so you know I really expect Shaheen Holloway to have a lot of success with that program it is going to be very tough you know hopefully Thad Mata can take us back into the more prominent area in a top like five seed, but it's going to be the same thing for the next years to come. If if you're in the top eight in the Big East, you're probably going to make the national tournament, and all you have to really be is in the top like nine or ten to really be on the bubble at this point. So the Big East tournaments are going to be fun and electric following this because just about every team seems like are going to be competing not only for a Big East title but also for legitimate spots in the national tournament so the Big East is just only building something from here and going forward I don't see any reason why it can't be like the most prominent conference in all college basketball. Well, I know one thing for sure is that we're going to be just looking forward to it and this this hire is probably just leaving us with <laughs> too many emotions to handle. We were absolutely ecstatic about this one. And man, the future of Butler basketball is looking bright. And that actually is a true sentence this time. We've mentioned it a lot of times during the season, but for right now, <laughs> the future is very, very bright. So for that's, once, we actually mean it. Exactly. So that's going to do it here for our Butler basketball uh, session about, obviously, Fad Mata. Thank goodness he's back. And so now we're going to be moving on to our next section about the Butler softball team. All righty. So now we're going to be jumping from the humongous news now on to just some of the other uh, sports that have been going on uh, at Butler. Starting off with the Butler softball team. We talked about them last week and how well they've been doing. Well, <laughs> things have just kind of turned around recently. I guess we just can't have a good baseball team and softball team at the same time. That's just our luck right there. But uh, before we get into it, once again, I'm going to be joined here by James to continue talking some softball since this is right now, I believe, our most successful team on 
campus. Uh, at least that's going on right now. So with a team like this to be able to handle, I mean, are you excited to talk some more softball? <laughs> uh, yeah, I am. I don't know how I ended up as like, you know, the softball analyst on the show, but hey, I'm all here for it. Because as you mentioned, this is one of the more exciting teams to watch on campus right now. No disrespect to our baseball team because they're having a good season in their own right. But this softball team, even after some recent struggles, they're still 19 and 12. So they're still very successful right now. They're third in the Big East, which we'll kind of get to more so. But, you know, this is still a team with a lot of hope and expectations. Yeah, cannot wait. But obviously, so I mentioned that this team's been kind of flipped from last week as they were on just an amazing streak of winning. And all that kind of done turned around as they went and now have lost three of their last four games. Um, they had a really, really bad game against Dayton, lost six to nothing. That one, just things were not going their way. A uh, lot of strikeouts, could not be able to stay with them, couldn't even get on the board. And Dayton got out early in that game and just continued to struggle. Anything else to add in that game? It's really just the bats that have had trouble getting going here in the past week. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as a game like Dayton, whenever you have a non-conference game right before a huge conference series, which they had last weekend against UConn, you can't really put too much stock into the non-conference game because they're obviously not going to be throwing one of their better arms. They're going to be saving them for the weekend. So this is a game where you really much more want to rely on your hitting to kind of get in an offensive battle with them. Obviously, Butler lost 6 nothing. They only got three hits on the day. So that's where they really fell short. Yeah, they got up early in this game and were up, I believe, five to nothing in the, just in the fourth inning. So things got out of hand pretty darn quickly for this Butler team. And so obviously, I think they decided to check out and try and just really get ready for their series against UConn. And since it was a big, big series, because so far, I mean, this softball team we've talked about, they've done very, very well. They won the series against Villanova, won the series against DePaul, uh, and then they won the series against Seton Hall. So they've won their last three series in the Big East Conference. So they have been red hot. But then UConn is the other top team, and they are the top team here in the Big East right now. And if Butler was able to even just get two out of or be able to win two of the three games, they might have been able to jump them. But however, they just couldn't do it. They were able to so they start off pretty strong on April Fool's Day there with a six to two win right there, but then just couldn't get it to keep going and couldn't even score in those last two games. I mean, what do you think went wrong in those, I guess, those the second half of that series? Yeah, so, well, in the first game, Carly Ricketts was phenomenal. She didn't start the game. She actually came in in the first inning uh, after the starter had to be pulled, and then she threw a complete game the rest of the way and was phenomenal there. Um, But it was really just more so the bats. It was much of the same thing. In the second game, they only had uh, six hits, and then they only had two hits on Sunday in the finale. So, you know, when you're just not uh, really hitting the ball around, it's really tough to score. And, you know, obviously you're not going to win very many games putting up zero runs. So there's that. Um, And also Ricketts was throwing very well on Sunday too. So it was looking like we could be in um, line for just a really good pitching duel. But then around the fourth or fifth inning, it looked like Ricketts started just to run out of gas a little bit. She had five strikeouts in the first two innings. And then really just her stuff just didn't look to be as crisp as it was. And usually that's just a sign that a pitcher is fatiguing. You know, again, she threw a complete game on Friday and then to turn around and to try and throw another one on Sunday is a tough ask. Um, So from that perspective, 
Maybe they could could have thrown in an extra arm or done something there, tried to bring in somebody fresh. But it's really just about the hitting. Now, on UConn's end, their starting pitcher, Elise Soloski, was phenomenal on Sunday in the rubber match. So, you know, you do have to give them their credit. They're the number one team in the Big East for a reason. But it is a little disappointing because after Friday's victory, uh, they ended up tied in the top of the Big East. Then UConn wins the next two games. So now Butler's got some work to do to kind of make it up from there. Yeah, so... Obviously, you mentioned it now. They still stand second here in the stands in the Big East Conference. So, still a great season so far, 19-12, and 12 too. This team has a little bit more things to look forward to as they uh, have to do a little bit more traveling this week um, as they're going to be heading to Indiana State um, and stay, at least staying in state until Wednesday. And then they're going to have to fly all the way to Queens, New York to go play St. John's uh, for a uh, weekend series from uh, Friday to Sunday. So, Anything in store? Do you think the Bulldogs can get back on track once again? Yeah, dude, St. John's isn't nearly the competition that UConn is, right? These Mm -hmm. games should be much more manageable. St. John's is down around the bottom of the standings. So really for Butler now, you almost need a perfect week. Again, this is much of the same situation as last week. You have Indiana State on Wednesday. That's a it's kind of an important game just for Butler more so to turn things around and get some momentum. You really need to get the bats moving. That's what I think is gonna be ultra important is just get the bats going in this game against Indiana State. And then as far as the series against St. John's goes, you really do have to sweep that. This is your chance to make up some ground, right? Because um, UConn and Providence are the two best teams right now in the Big East. Butler is third. They will have a series against Providence later in the year, but they won't play UConn again. So whenever you get a team like St. John's at the bottom of the standings, this is where you have to convert. I mean, if you take two of three from them, it's not the worst thing in the world. But a sweep here would really be big and kind of restore faith in Butler's season again. Yeah, but that's what we're looking forward to. Obviously, you could tune in as most of these games are actually being broadcasted on ESPN with the Indiana State game going to be on ESPN Plus and then all three of the games against St. John's being broadcasted on ESPN 3. So if you got How you about got that? It. The main network. I know. we are. I mean, it's still ESPN <laughs> 3, but that's still national television Absolutely. right there. That is nothing to scoff at. So keep an eye out for the Butler ba- or softball team as... Uh, as they continue to hopefully get back on track and continue their very, very, very successful season. So, but that's going to do it here for our Butler softball talk. And now we're moving, switching, staying with the ball diamond or ball diamond once again. And now we're going to be talking about the Butler baseball team. Alrighty, and for our final part of our 12th episode of the Butler Sports Fifth Buffet podcast, I'm going to be joined for some more baseball around the diamond here with. He's back, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Andrew Mild here to talk some more baseball. So, Andrew, how was your little, I guess, little break from the podcast? <laughs> uh, it, it wasn't bad. I, I missed you for sure. And I'm glad you're saving the best for last once again. Um, but it's good to be back. I love talking Butler baseball, especially after the fun week they had. Absolutely. And so you mentioned fun week. This team, we mentioned last week, I guess you might be their good luck charm because the one week you're away, they start losing. And suddenly, as soon as you're back in the podcast, boom, they've won five of their last six games, including a three to one win series over Eastern Illinois. And so they are cruising into right before the beginning of the Big East Conference. So but before we get into that, I was wondering how do, how have Butler been able to turn around uh, their season so far, especially after losing all those tons of games and now they're able yeah. to come back and start winning all these games at home against Eastern Illinois. Yeah, it was it was pretty clear that it was the pitching. In the four-game losing streak, three of the games they had lost by double digits because the other team had reached there. Uh, I will give them the benefit of losing to Tennessee because everyone's losing to Tennessee because they've won 
20 straight games. They swept number one Ole Miss, the number one in the country now. So, and then, you know, Ben Joyce comes in and beams the umpire in the face on the first pitch. But that that was great. That was great. <laughs> That's um, content right there. It is content. It was everywhere. You always felt bad for the for the um, Well, I mean, everyone felt bad for the umpire because <laughs> he was seeing Tweety Birds over his head. But mm-hmm. the, the pitching's really settled in after Colin All hit that home run against Northwestern on Sunday to snap the four-game snide. Uh, I was really impressed with Adrian Vega in his, first, in his two appearances this week against Bellarmine where he struck out six hitters. And then Eastern Illinois, when he, he went four and a third, allowed no hits, no runs, and struck out five. So the bullpen's starting to find its way, and that was going to be the big question. You and I talked about that early on. Um, I'm a big fan of how Corey Bosecker pitched. Oh, my. Like, he was shoving against one of the best pitchers in the country in Trevor Nicholson for Eastern Illinois. He struck out 11, 12 hitters. It was incredible. Um, never would have thought going into this series – that it was going to be such low scoring affair, oh, and that yeah. Butler was going to shut out Eastern Illinois in that once, but twice against a team who had been shut out all season long and were sixteen and four, which was their best start ever. So again, it's it's situational hitting, two walk off hits, and the pitching's really settled down and calmed down, and at the right time because you mentioned the Big East play is coming, so the second season is starting in the most important part of the year. Yeah, you mentioned it too, the pitching, because you look at the scores, uh, there was only one game that had three runs in that entire Eastern Illinois series. I mean, and that was the one game that we ended up losing two to three. So pitching's like we mentioned, that was the number one issue when we were losing against Eastern Michigan and uh, Tennessee and Northwestern, which that was a lot better competition, but still the pitching giving up 13, 16, 13 runs, that's not what you want out of your pitchers. And I guess they might have heard us when we were saying it, and they stepped it up this last week, and they seem to be finding whatever groove they need to do, and I think they need to continue to keep doing it. When when you face a team like Eastern Illinois, and we talked about this a lot on the broadcast was that they're not the, the the prettiest of teams when it comes to hitting in terms of like driving the ball into the gaps, putting it over the walls. They didn't really slug a whole lot, but they got on base and made you punish uh, punish you for your mistakes. And you know Lincoln Riley, their leadoff hitter, had 15 hit by pitches after the series ended. So they, as Billy Bean said and Jonah Hill's character said, get on base by any means necessary. And that's what Eastern Illinois did. And because of Butler's pitching, settling in, attacking the strike zone, even after mistakes, they stranded so many base runners for Eastern Illinois. And in that final game, they stranded nine base runners. And that's that's something you need to have in your back pocket is being able to bounce back after making some mistakes and stranding base runners. Because if you're inheriting runners and you're still letting them score and you're not helping out your pitching staff – you're not getting, giving anyone any sort of confidence going into Biggie's play. Absolutely. And then you look at the batting, too, as well. I mean, they they were playing very well, and I guess they just can't have one or the other. You always yeah. have to have one or the other. And so this weekend, it was just all pitching. So then the batting's been kind of a little bit struggling. We only have now one uh, player on the team batting over uh, 300, which is Travis Holt, who's just been having such an amazing yeah. uh year so far, but you think there are any bats that need to step up as we continue to keep moving on? Um, I would like this. I don't want to single uh, anyone out, but what I would like to see is more balls driven into the gaps. Um, but you know what? I I will give them credit. I saw a lot of really good ABs this weekend. Um, Colin All, who had a 10-pitch at-bat in Game 1 on Sunday, where he's fouled off seven straight pitches. And I couldn't talk well enough about how Butler was doing at the plate in terms of like 
two-strike count, we're going to choke up, and we're going to battle. And that's what you can ask for is these nice, long, quality ABs. And that's the bad part is that quality ABs don't go for batting average. Um, I didn't think anyone looked horrible. Like, they didn't know what they were doing at the plate this weekend. And, you know, Eastern Illinois was a sound defensive team. That's what they're going to do. And the wind was just so unpredictable. One game it was blowing out, and next thing you know it was blowing in, it was swirling. <laughs> you know, it's Indiana, it's the Indiana in April. Weather. Yeah, it's Indiana in April where you get four seasons in one day. Um, but you're right. I'm hoping that they can have more two-out situations mm-hmm. where they can drive in runs and come up in the clutch. I think that's the only part that's not going well for the dogs right now. They didn't strike out a whole lot this weekend. They put the ball in play, and it didn't help that Jaleel Akbar for the Panthers had some of the best plays I'd ever seen. Like he made this play on the James Gargano at bat where he dove into the hole deep in the left center and came back up and threw a ball over the second and got the runner out. Um, but I've been really impressed with Travis Holt. Uh, O'Halloran has really stepped up. And shout out to Aaron Steinhardt. Four straight games with a home run at one point. Wow. Four straight <laughs> games. And he hit another one this weekend to make it five in his last seven. So he's swinging the bat really well. Billy Warchard home run also on Sunday. Um, so keep slugging, and hopefully when the the weather starts to warm up, so does the Butler bats. Absolutely. We're going to be hoping for that too as well, especially with a humongous matchup coming on this week, <laughs> starting off with Notre Dame. I mean, we mentioned it earlier uh, that we this schedule has been a little bit loaded this year as we already had to play Tennessee, who we mentioned in the last episode. They're still right now the number one team in the country. They have been absolutely just red hot. And now we get to face Notre Dame at Notre Dame, who is a former number one ranked team yeah. in the entire country. So this team is nothing to uh, go in easy about because they're now they're 13th right now. But I think they're going to be a little bit higher ranked, especially after their big sweep that they just had this weekend. So big matchup. Is there anything in store for the Bulldogs to try and maybe Keep a, stay afloat against Notre Dame in this game? Yeah, you mentioned Notre Dame's red hot. They got swept against Louisville last weekend, or I mean two weekends ago, and they needed to bounce back. And they went down to Florida State when they were ranked fifth and swept them. One game was just thrilling. A pitcher's duel in the 12th inning. Notre Dame hit a home run to take the lead and went on to win the game. Um, their pitching staff is great. I know you're a Cubs fan, so am yeah. I. <laughs> Their rotation is a lot like the Cubs. Not mm-hmm. one guy that's going to just pop the glove every time, but a lot of movement, uh, adding and subtracting velocity. That's the the fighting Irish way. Notre Dame's got a solid lineup, in the, and they're going to contend in the ACC this year. But, you know, there's that, always that story of small school in the same state going up against the big school in the state and beating them. So there is still that potential of Butler going up there and riding that hot streak that they've had winning five of the last six and maybe pulling up an upset against Notre Dame. We'll see. It's a tough task and a tall order, but hey, you can dream, right? That's that's allowed in baseball. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> if you're going into the game defeated thinking you're not going to win, you're going to lose. But if you, you believe in yourself and your teammates behind you, you never know. You never know what can happen on a given day in baseball, and that's what makes it beautiful. I know, and you know, Bulldogs, uh, we ride that underdog mentality, and I figure sometime this season we might be able to get one, at least one major upset to add to our like arsenal before exactly. we head into the Big East. Uh, which, speaking of that, we'll jump into that as well, because guess what? This week, the Big East conference play is officially starting, so the Bulldogs will be traveling all the way to Pennsylvania to take on Villanova. So, 
Uh, with the Big East, do you have any uh, any previews, anything to look forward to with the Big East? Do you think the Bulldogs stand a chance in the Big yeah, East? Yeah, luckily, writing for the Collegian, we just did our Big East preview on baseball, so I had to do some homework. Uh, Villanova, their center fielder is very good. Chris Rotondo, he's batting at 355, has hit six home runs, 22 RBIs. and made a sick play, robbing a home run about a couple of weeks ago. I'll have to show you after. It was it was oh, an incredible play. <laughs> um, but they're seventh in the Big East right now because they have a few good players, but nothing that's really going to make it eye-popping and be like, oh, we have to take them serious all around. Like There's going to be some weaker players on the team, but we'll see because, you know, Anything can happen in conference play, and I would love to see the Bulldogs go up to Pennsylvania and give Villanova a nice uh, loss, uh, You know, kind of like how Kansas did in the Final Four this past weekend. Um, but the team I'm really excited to see is not this weekend, but next weekend, Georgetown is coming over, and their offense is unbelievable. They've already hit 55 home runs. Excuse me? 55, <laughs> no, 55 home runs. And broke the school record, and we're not even 30 games in. Oh, my It's incredible. Goodness. Yeah. Jake Hyde, he's a stud, dude. He only hit 159 last year. He's already batting 385 with 12 home runs, and he's only struck out 15 times. Kid's a monster. <laughs> and he, he, for me, if I had to pick a Big East player of the year, it would be between him and Eric Stock from UConn. And UConn's ranked 25th. They're going to be playing Butler at the end of the month, and I think the Big East is going to be so much fun to watch. Even Xavier, they had a player that was ranked top five in home runs, Luke Franzoni, first baseman. So I think that Butler needs to win this series against Villanova to start off hot against Big East teams and find their way into the tournament because it's not like the men's and women's tournament where everyone gets to go and party. Mm -hmm. It's only the top four teams. So it's a race. Once Big East play starts, you are racing every weekend to try and get to Mason, Ohio to compete in the Big East tournament, something Butler's only done once since joining the Big East in 2014. I mean, we'll see what they have in store. I think this this year might give them a chance, especially with um, – I know the Big East – usually people don't think Big East uh, baseball, are they really even that good? But I know UConn's usually at the top, and then it's a race for anybody else to try yeah. and be able to squeeze in this year. And so the Butler – with the success that they've had so far this season, I mean, this is a little bit more of a better season than they had last year. So there's there's some hope going around at yeah. Bull, around Bulldog Park. So and you know you you mentioned it about having the loaded schedule of playing Tennessee and at Tennessee and at Notre Dame. Those are big key matchups because you're playing some really great talent. And once you play tougher talent and have to have a tougher mentality, the games against the lower teams don't feel as bad. And again, you've played tough competition. Other competitions not going to seem as bad, but they need to play a, a tough game against Notre Dame because you know the Tennessee game was thirteen to three. But Butler hit a couple of home runs, which for me was impressive because Tennessee's not only are they great offensively, but their pitching staff is also phenomenal. So the fact that they're able to go yard is just you know, <laughs> three times too. Absolutely, yeah. I'm proud of this team, and we cannot wait to see what they have in store. But once again, big matchups this week. We got against Notre Dame and then Villanova this weekend. So hopefully we'll be able to continue this hot winning streak and be able to get a great start in the Big East. But that'll do it here for our Butler baseball section. Thank you, Andrew, as always, for joining me. And Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And then I will jump into our conclusion of our podcast. Alrighty, so before we go, we've got a few shout-outs for some of the other athletes across the Butler Athletics not yet mentioned in this episode. 
First off, shout out to the Butler women's golf player, Allie Ross, for a big performance at the Colonel Classic on Tuesday. She posted a score of 1 under 71, which was enough to earn her the bronze medal. Awesome job, Allie. Also, shout out to the men's tennis duo, senior Thomas Brennan and junior Avaro Huevadio, as they earned their first Big East Doubles of the Week honors of the season. The duo picked up a huge victory 7-5 against Illinois this weekend. Outstanding job, boys. And to finish it off, a huge shout-out to former Butler women's soccer star Amanda Kowalski for earning a spot on the National Women's Soccer League roster. Over the weekend, Kowalski signed a soccer contract with the Chicago Red Stars, bringing the number of former Bulldogs on a current NWSL roster up to three. Way to rep the dogs in the big leagues, girls. And that's going to do it here for our 12th episode of the Butler Sports of Faith podcast. I want to thank James and Andrew for joining me on this remarkable episode, as well as a special thanks to our producer, Eric Barnes, and all the work you do behind the scenes. Other than that, I look forward to being back here next week for some more Butler sports content. For the Butler Collegian, I'm Ethan Pollock. Go dogs!